0: No screen tonight. We're done with our series. Amen. This November, we will celebrate 40 years as a church. Sometimes it's easy for us to get tunnel vision and only kind of notice our little world. And and I'm not saying it's bad. We just get in a routine, and and we just kind of. Anyway, we lose. We can lose sight of the uniqueness of what God has done here. Um, First of all, after 39 and a half years, we still have our founding pastor with us. That's rare. I tried to find some stats on that, but I couldn't find it, so we're going to go with rare. (laughs) And secondly, so far, it would appear we've had a successful transition to the next generation. Um, One good thing about going to conferences, and uh, I'm, I'm not a big fellowshipper. I was so thankful Brother DeGarmo didn't preach longer on giving to hospitality in Sunday school. <clears throat> Actually, I'm pretty hospitable. I keep five people in the house all the time. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Um, but when you go to some of these conferences, you get an opportunity to talk to other pastors. And uh, one pastor mentioned how the founding pastor stepped aside but had refused to give up control. And a church can't have two heads. A church divided against itself cannot stand. One pastor, and look, I didn't walk up and and say, let's have a conversation about this. The conversation found me um, because I don't talk. And so, (laughs) in fact, I was having lunch. (laughs) Side note. I was having lunch all by myself off to the side And uh, people came to my table. I guess they feel sorry for you. They think you're some kind of outcast, reject. And uh, brother Mitchell, I miss the days of being able just to exit stage right. Um, Yeah, he's a man after my own heart. But anyway, um, y'all may not know this, but in Sunday nights, I'm telling you. But the pie in the face, we had to coordinate. Adam, (laughs) we we need you here around this time. And I'm just saying I miss those days. But anyway, one pastor uh, mentioned how several pastors, he was taking over after several other pastors had failed to take over from a guy who had been there a long time. Um, These two scenarios where there was a failure on both sides, there was a failure on the previous pastor on one scenario, failure on the incoming pastor or pastors in the other scenario. And I just want to say how thankful I am for how things have gone here. It takes humility by both men. Uh, It takes the founding pastor to be humble enough to fully support the new pastor and let him lead. And it takes the incoming pastor being humble enough to do all he can do to honor the previous pastor. And for some reason, many new pastors come in and they feel the need to beat their chest, and stomp the floor and say, this the way it's going to be, I'm the new sheriff in town. And they give no honor to the previous pastor. Um, I don't know if they have no confidence in themselves or God's calling, but that happens more often than you'd think, maybe. Um, the other big mistake is people move too fast when coming into a new pastorate. And um, there's got to be time for sheep to get used to a new voice. Um, I hope she doesn't mind me mentioning this, but um, after I became pastor, shortly after I became pastor, uh, Danny Hollinsworth had written me a letter. I still have that letter. It was a very nice letter, and um, she was stating that she did support me, but just be patient. It'll take time because I miss my old pastor. Everybody with me? And Danny, I'm so glad that you stuck it out. You've been such a blessing to our church and our school. Amen. I just thank you for it. And then I remember Jeannie uh, said, it's not that your messages are bad. <laughs> <laughs> she said, but I've been listening to preacher for 50 years and it's just hard hearing a new voice up there. Um, and I'm kind of glad she stuck it out. Amen. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're a new one around here and you didn't have time listening to Pastor Williams, uh, God bless you. Because if you had been here, you'd realize how inadequate I am <laughs> uh, for doing this. But, you know, there's a reason for the blessings we've experienced through all of this. First and foremost, our focus is on Christ And not man. But we cannot discount man's role in it. It took a great pastor in Wayne Williams directing our hearts heavenward. And then it took the reception, our reception of that message. You can have the best preacher in the world. But if the, pre- if the people don't receive it, I guess we're just kind of having a family talk. I don't know. But I just want to say this. Don't take for granted what's happening around here. God's been very good to us to have one under-shepherd for over 36 years as pastor. To have them still with us after nearly 40 years, and then to have a transition where we didn't see a mass exodus. Dang. I mean, that's rare. It really is rare, and I cannot overemphasize this. Now, I'll probably say more in November, but 40 years is very special. I mean, Adrian's well over 40. Huh? You well to me, girl. Um, that's the only way I can make up for saying that. Now, I couldn't find anything definitive on how many churches last beyond 40 years, but I think a lot would depend on where that data is collected. For example, there's a big difference from the Southeast and the Northern Plains. Um, first church I preached in had been around since before the Civil War, so... It's hard, to, it's hard to get good stats on that. I can tell you that many churches of our stripe have not been around very long in our region. That's right. Our town alone has seen many Baptist churches come and go over the last 40 years. I think, um, I think Bethel has been around longer than we have. Thank God for that. But other than Bethel and Liberty, I don't think there's been any other Baptist churches stick around as long as far as uh, independent Baptist churches go. But I th- I think 40 years is a special landmark, and I wanted our anniversary day's preacher to be somebody who knows the heartbeat of our church, who has a history with our church, has served here, been a member here, so forth. <clears throat> and so I'm happy to announce that, barring any unforeseen circumstances, Pastor Harold Holder will be with us to be our special speaker this year. I would ask you to please pray for him ever since his heart issues. Uh, He's not 100% sure he can preach all the sermons, and so just pray that this will come to pass. I really wanted him as our speaker this year, so I'm excited that he has made that happen. Now, our theme is on the wall back there. I know it's June, and I probably should have done all this in January, but it's from Deuteronomy 2.7. I don't know if you walk in and don't actually read what's on there. But the whole verse says this, For the Lord thy God hath blessed thee in all the works of thy hand. He knoweth thy walking through this great wilderness. And here's our theme. These 40 years the Lord thy God hath been with thee, thou hast lacked nothing. And it's a joy to know that God meets all of our needs. We may not have the fanciest building, but God has met all of our needs. We may not have millionaires, but God meets all of our needs. We may not have the most people, but God meets all of our needs. And 40 is a significant number with God. It's very significant throughout the Bible. It's typically a number associated with testing and trials. God caused it to rain 40 days and 40 nights during the great flood. God caused, or excuse me, after the ark rested at the end of the flood, 40 days after it rested, Noah opened the window and sent the raven out. Moses' life was 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the backside of the desert, and then 40 years in leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. Twice, Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights on top of the mountain. The spies searched out the promised land for 40 days. Goliath taunted Israel for 40 days. In Judges chapter 13, the children of Israel once again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And God gave them 40 years of oppression by the Philistines. Jonah's message to Nineveh was, you need to repent. You got 40 days or the city would be overthrown. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted of the devil. Jesus was seen 40 days from His resurrection to His ascension. There are many other examples that I won't mention. Sometimes after one of these 40s, there's a great trial or some kind of a judgment. For example, when the spies went into the land for 40 days... Ten were, two, ten were bad, two were good. And because there was a lack of faith, God said, you're going to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Only Joshua and Caleb had the faith to take the land. Several times after the number of 40, we find great blessing After the flood, the earth was cleansed, and God gave the rainbow. After Moses was on Sinai, he brought down the law of God to the children of Israel. After Goliath taunted David, David cut his head off. After Jesus' ascension, he sent the Holy Ghost. And for our sake of, of this study that I'm trying to set up tonight, After 40 years, the children entered the land of promise. I personally believe if the Lord tarries, and if we stay by God, Liberty Baptist Tabernacle is in store for some great blessings as we surpass 40 years. Now, I want to be careful because I don't want to give the impression that somehow we've been in the wilderness for the past 40 years because God's been very good to us, amen? So please, I don't want you to take that way. I don't want anyone to get offended thinking that I'm suggesting that we've been wandering these last 40 years. I just want to make application of the significance of what took place at the end of that 40 years. Is everybody okay with that? (laughs) I don't want somebody saying, I've been here for 40 years and I'm telling you, you're way off track. So with this in mind, I want to begin a new series on Sunday nights. It's going to center around our theme that we have posted. Our focus is going to be on the children of Israel as they come out of Egypt and into the land of promise. But in order to set that up, I believe we need to start with Abram. Um, Abram was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And his physical offspring from the son of promise, who was Isaac, not Ishmael, Isaac's son was Jacob. Jacob's uh, two wives gave birth to the 12 uh, children of Israel because Jacob ended up being named Israel. Um, They would go down to Egypt for 400 years and eventually be brought out to inherit the land of Canaan. This is not the passage yet, but in Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14, God said to Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them four hundred years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. So I want to call this series from Chaldea to Canaan. From Chaldea to Canaan. I don't have the series outlined, I don't have it mapped out, I don't know where we're going to go, I don't know how long we're going to spend, I don't know how deep we'll go but I'm just going to go in this direction until I sense the Lord says we're through. Now, I believe it's important we start with Abram because Abram, in Abram, and now we're going to get to the message. Everything I've said up to now is just gee whiz. In Abram, good gee whiz, in Abram we find one of the major themes of the Bible. Of course, the object of our Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ. But one of the major themes that we find in Scripture is that God intends to call a people out to Himself. We'll look at a couple of passages here. Go to Genesis 11, please. God is going to call Abram unto Himself. And we'll begin to watch this unfold in chapter 11. (laughs) And if you'll look with me beginning in verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, and uh, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 uh, years, and Terah died in Haran. In verse 31 there, it seems as though Terah is the one who received the command and is kind of leading this outfit out of Ur of the Chaldees. But we'll see here in just a second in the next chapter, God speaks the command to Abram to leave. I believe honor here is being given to Terah because he is the patriarch of this group. But the point in reading this is to emphasize Abram's beginnings were in the land of the Chaldees. And this is very important for several reasons as we'll see As we progress, if you'll look at chapter 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, Uh, his wife and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. There was a progression we see here of Abram's departure. He first leaves Ur. Or if you're a texter, you are. (laughs) But... He dwells in Haran until his father dies, and then he departs Haran and heads for the land of Canaan. And he doesn't even really fully obey God's command until he parts company with his nephew Lot. And it's interesting when you study that because God doesn't say certain things to Abram until he departs from Lot. But that's another time I'm doing my best to stay away from the covenants. But I want to say this concerning what I'm talking about here that for many of God's children, it's a it's a long road to full obedience. Right? God said you need to get out of your country, out of your father's house, get away from your kindred. They go from Ur to Haran, wait a while till the fathers dies and dies and then they move, but he still has Lot with them. And then it's not till later that they depart company from Lot. And sometimes it's hard for us to leave our old life behind. But it's a journey that God intends all of His children to take. Next, we read in Genesis fifteen seven, And He said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Now, we need to get some things out in the open here as we kind of set the table for the series. But um, first, we see God calling a people unto himself in Abram. Where did Abram come from? We just covered it. He came from the Chaldees, right? Ur of the Chaldees. Um, The Chaldeans, when you read Scripture, were part of Babel, the Babylonians. We see that throughout the Old Testament. Uh, You can see it real clearly in Daniel. And I believe this is important now. But God was calling Abram out of Babylonianism. He was calling Abram out of the Babylonian system. He was calling Abram out from worshiping the Babylonian gods. And I want you to get this point, and I need you to stay with me because it's all going to make sense in just a moment. Uh, But Abram was not a Jew. Let me blow your mind even further. Abraham was not even an Israeli. That's right. uh, he was specifically called a Hebrew. Amen. In Genesis 14, 13. We won't go there. And it's amazing how many refer to Abram, Abraham as a Jew when it's biblically impossible. Let me just give you a quick side note here. Jew is one of the most misunderstood Stood, maybe that's not, but definitely the most misused terms in the Bible. The Jews are, this is important, trust me. The Jews are specific to the children and the tribe of Judah. Later on, it would be specific to the house of Judah, which consisted of Judah and Benjamin. So, technically, the first Jews were Judah's children. Everybody with me? And and, and, here's the thing Abram just doesn't show up out of nowhere. God didn't just form him from the dust of the ground and breathe uh, life into him and say, Congratulations, you're now a Jew. He had to come from somewhere. He came from the Chaldees. He was a Chaldean. And I'm just just trying to really push this point that God was calling this people, it started with Abram, out of something and into something. Right? Um, He wasn't born a Jew, yet you can do a simple internet search like I did this afternoon. And you'll find that most people will tell you the very first Jew was Abraham. But the problem is, this isn't rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. Well, here's my point. If Abram was not a Jew, and if he was a Hebrew, what does Hebrew mean? <laughs> right? Has anybody ever studied this? I don't know. I... Well, not you, Preacher. The word Hebrew, it comes from a verb in Hebrew that means to pass over. Strong's defines it as a region across, on the opposite side. It speaks of someone who has crossed over from one location to another. And this makes really good sense when we hear what Joshua said In His day. Go real quick. Go over to Joshua 24. Let's lay eyes on this. I was just going to read it to you, but I think it would be good to kind of see it and maybe digest it a little bit. Joshua 24, look at verses 2 and 3. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. Even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I don't know if you see what's happening here, but there were those who once dwelt on the other side. Do you see that? There were those who dwelt on the other side of the flood. They served their idols. They served other gods. But it says here that God took Abram, Abraham, excuse me, from the other side and into Canaan. In other words, Abraham was called a Hebrew because he crossed over from that side of the flood. You say, well, what does that mean? That means the Euphrates River. I don't have time to break that down, but you can look that up. When God called him out, they crossed over that river, and anybody who crossed over who came from that location to another was Hebrew crossed over. Everybody with me? So Hebrew first described the action of Abram leaving his father's country and passing over. Hebrew's not necessarily even talking about his descent because he was born a Chaldean. Hebrew later would come to describe those who came from Abraham. Moses is considered a Hebrew. Because Abram was the first to pass over and follow God. And I believe the picture is clear. As God was beginning to bring a people out for himself, they would listen now, they would have to leave their old life behind. And, and as they left their old life behind, they would have to leave their old gods behind. And they would have to pass over into a new land where they would serve a new God, God Almighty. Is everybody with me so far? God called Abram out of Babylon, out of idolatry, and into a relationship with himself. Now let's connect this to us. What is a church? Well, the word for church means a called out. Assembly. Jesus started the first church. (laughs) Boy, we could have fun with that debate. I'll just give you my, my take on it. Jesus started the first church when he walked up to the first 12 and said, Follow me. He was calling out an assembly they were to leave their old life and cross over into a new life. He goes up to the fishermen and they leave their nets. He goes up to the tax collector and he walks away from his pension. Everybody with me? Follow me. But what is it that God wants us to come out of in this church age? Well... Would it not be the Babylonian system? Would it not be the Babylonian gods? And all of its idolatry? And what is, what is the Lord calling us to? To Himself. Follow Me. Jesus said, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give thee rest. Give you rest, sorry. Suffer the little children to come unto me. He said, come unto me and drink. You see, it does absolutely no good to come out of Babylon if all you do is bring Babylon with you. Right? And I, and I know as we saw in Abram, man, it can be tough. You can ask my kids. I, out of nowhere, a song will pop in my head because I made those decisions when I was younger. I don't know if anybody else has that problem. Y'all are looking at me like I'm the greatest sinner that ever lived. Um, and it, it does no good to come out if we don't leave that stuff there. If we come out of Babylon, we have to come unto the Lord. And we'll see this a little bit later in this study. But when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, what was the point? To bring them into the land of promise. He brought them out to bring them in. We come out of darkness and into light. We leave the world and we come into the kingdom of God. We have crossed over and therefore our citizenship is no longer on this earth. But it is with the saints in the household of God. We have to come out so that we may enter in. If I can put it this way, we're to be Hebrews in the strictest sense of the word. We're to pass over. There are two different places altogether. Hebrews chapter 12 Verses 18 and 19 and verses 22 and 23 say, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard and that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Abram had to come out of his idolatrous background, his idolatrous country, and so do we. 2 Corinthians 6, 14-18 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We have to pass from death unto life. John 5.24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. As believers in Christ, we are those who have passed from the dead into the land of the living. Why seek ye the living among the dead? Colossians chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 says, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And what makes us unique from the world is we have been called out of the world's system. We have been called out of the world's values. We have been called out of the world's idolatry. At the very end of this age, we read the following. Now get this. Revelation 18, verses 1 through 4. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. And be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. God wants us out of Babylon. Amen. I don't have time to develop this. God calls Abram out. He crosses over from his old life. And he becomes this, this nation. Actually, he became two, because Ishmael also became a, a, a nation. But we're talking about this, the chosen seed of Isaac. And, and, and he becomes this nation. He, he, came out of, he came out of the Chaldees. He came out of that idolatry and, and yet, as we watch Israel unfold through the pages of the Old Testament, we find them time and time again going back to idolatry. Going back to that Babylonian system. Going back to those gods. Now, I wish I had time to develop this, but you're just going to have to deal with it. God talking in Revelation 18, Mystery Babylon is the very same people that God way back here in Ur of the Chaldees said, I want you to come out from that. I want you to come out from that. It's the same group. I've taught it before. I don't have time to get into it. The great whore, I believe, is Jerusalem. And here's the people that God took out and said, I want you to be the difference between what's clean and unclean. I want you to be the difference between what's holy and unholy. I want to put a difference in you and the other nations. Right? And, and, and in you, the world's going to know that there's a God in heaven. Amen. That was the point. But they go back, and they go back, and they go back until eventually God says look you better come out of her my people and not be a partaker of her plagues cuz judgment's coming but but here's where I want to go with this we've been here now for almost 40 years amen we better be careful amen because if it can happen to Israel it can happen to Liberty Baptist Tabernacle And we can be a people that understand that we have crossed over, that we have passed over from an old life into a new life, and that we have said goodbye to Babylon, that we said goodbye to that system and those gods, and we're not worshiping them. But if we're not careful, we can slowly let compromise enter in. We can slowly let Babylon get a toehold, a foothold, a stronghold. And the next thing you know, we've compromised to the place where God is saying, you better come out of her, and I don't know about you, but I didn't come here to fail. I didn't come here to say, uh, sorry pastor, all your effort was for nothing. I want this church to be here, to be thriving, to be strong, to be strong doctrinally, when the Lord comes back. And that's going to take a group of people, I'm talking to the Sunday night faithful, that will look at the world, and will say no. No. I will not be partakers with you. I will not worship your gods. I will not bow down to your system. God said, Come out. How are you doing tonight? This is so important. Do you still have a foot in Babylon? I mean, are you living right up to the edge of where you crossed over? Where you can still hear it. And you can still see it. And if they were making Dickie's barbecue, you would still smell it. How close are you tonight? Are you seeing how close you can live to Babylon and still get away with it? that's not going to happen to me. You know how many people have said that? Leaving Babylon and coming to God is what makes a peculiar people, but you have to fully cross over. This is what makes Liberty Baptist Tabernacle possible. And this is what will keep this body of believers continuing until the Lord returns. Keep compromise out of here. Keep Babylon out of here. I'm not saying we don't open our doors to her wounded. Into to her hurting, and to her lost. But we cannot open our doors to the compromise of her doctrine Amen. and that wickedness. Amen. We have to keep Babylon out. And for this church to thrive in the generations to come, our children need to be led out of Babylon into God. And may we not just be another church by name. But may we be God's representatives on this earth. You say, but we're so small in number. I don't care. When God looks down and His eyes move to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking whom He may show Himself strong, May his may his eyes land on Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, and see a group of people that will say, "I love you. I've crossed over. I've given you my life, and I'm not going to compromise." We need to be ambassadors for God. We need to show the world that there's a God in heaven. That there's a difference between clean and unclean. We have to leave idolatry and sin in Babylon. Have you passed over tonight? Have you left that land for God's promised land? Have you made the journey from Chaldea to Canaan? Let's pray. Lord, I pray you'd work in the hearts of your people now for Christ's sake. If there's any who have not left Babylon, don't even know what it means to be saved, may this be the night of their salvation. God, if there's some here who are walking a tightrope between Babylon and Canaan, I pray that you'd help them to just cross on over. To leave that life behind. To leave that wickedness. And to come unto you. We love you. Amen. Let's stand together, please.